Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Eve Eurydice. I am Greek from the island of Lesbos. I am the writer of three books on female sexuality, Satyricon with Scribner, F32, The Second Coming with Virago Press, F32. I wrote the Sex Files column for Gear Magazine. I wrote, uh, I was a staff writer on issues of sex for Spin Magazine for years. I've been on talk shows, TV shows as a sex expert. I'm a multimedia artist with female sexuality is my theme. And the goal for this podcast is to find a way to bridge the dichotomy between our bodies and our minds that we've inherited from the Judeo-Christian tradition bullshit and uh, become sex positive in this still patriarchal rape culture and uh, uh, celebrate the truth of our sexual individuality instead of the cliché. So today's guest um, is uh, Marcello, no last name, because he's here not in a professional uh, way, but as a private citizen. He's a filmmaker, and very appropriately, he was born in Rome. Um, he lives in Miami part-time, and um, I we met recently and he talked to me about his um, sexual journey and quest and how as a man and a sexual being he finds that the exact tropes that we women protest against have are you know limiting his own sexuality so most of the women who have come on the podcast have actually complained about how they don't get men to do a different things or enough for them or even eat them out. So today I want Marcello to tell us uh, the same thing from the man's point of view and that's why I invited him on. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Mm. It's good to be here. Yeah. And yeah. you're also a global citizen, right? So you travel a lot. Yes. So that yes, makes your experience more w- worldwide, <laughs> not just limited to our Miami more and more so, yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Good. Yeah. So, um, you're heteronormative, heterosexual, yes. to begin with, right? True. Yeah. And uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, so you're dating, you are... I am. Uh-huh. And you are a father, you got married, got divorced, did all of that. Good yes. for you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, in the process of you know coming to age, I guess, and learning your body and living with it long enough, you have found that you would like to um, be free sexually and experiment and not just go in as the male who supposedly knows everything because he has the dick and just you know fuck the girl who is lying back on her back or on her stomach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. I've always thought very interesting that we see sexuality and maybe forms of sort of passiveness or weakness in sexuality always associated with women. Mm -hmm. I've actually found that very often the opposite is true, that women have an incredible amount of power by just being able to say no, 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 most of the time. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and I'm of course taking away all the notions of sexual abuse against women, etc. But I'm talking about a woman who is, you know, who has liberated, who's liberated, and, and and who's not being abused. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just like mm-hmm. that on the side. Mm-hmm. For all who are not, they have all the power. That's uh, how you see it, right? <laughs> in in the sense, it, what I mean yeah, by that yeah, is, yeah. from a man's point of view, yes, they have the power almost at any time mm. to stop saying no and to be able to engage in, in sexual activity. This is the power that men just simply don't have on an everyday basis unless you're a movie star or somebody who, you know, uh, clearly creates an image that women are just really, really, so, you know, seeking after. Wow. Um, and you can see that in everyday life, everywhere, all the time. Mm-hmm. And so as a man, you're left with sort of two alternatives, if we want to be very black and white. Mm-hmm. Either you remain kind of passive in a sort of feminine way, where you just wait for the other party to sort of come on to you. Which won't happen much because women are trained to, you know, still, I mean, I think that most women expect the men to approach them and expect the man to flatter them and expect the man to show all the interest. So it's Very much unusual so. that the woman will make the first step. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And and I only talk about, you know, the laws of great averages. I'm not talking about specific cases. Yeah, we, w- this whole podcast is about heteronormative sex. So and that's exactly. that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Or, you know, being very dichotomous. I take the other side of the spectrum. And then you become this sort of very, very active or overly active man who's always trying to seduce women. Mm-hmm. And to be very honest, it's exhausting. <laughs> I love that. So, but that's the most common. That, that's what happens most of the time. You know, men chase, men hunt. Uh, it's just how they're trained. No, I don't think that it's natural by any means, but I think that our society has, you know, forced them right. into that role. Right. So And it's it's a it's a way I'm sorry to interrupt. It's please. a way for, for men to also expose exhibit their masculinity. You know, so um one of the ways as a man you're judged is by how masculine you are. Again, if you're heteronormative. So you know, you show how masculine you are by always, you know, looking <laughs> or chasing or, you know, having different girls and then the other men out there in the urban jungle see that you know you're a super male because you manage to get all these different girls and are always going after new sexual prey right yes anyway so yes go ahead please so so that's the other way those are the two ways either you hope you keep your fingers crossed (laughs) the two ends of the spectrum (laughs) you do nothing and you wait to be seduced you Mm, do it all all the time Um, so with that, with that sort of spectrum presented, then, you know, men have a decision to make. And I think that decision is sort of made for them, you know, in the sense of, you know, how you wake up during the day and whether you have this incredible amount of energy and confidence or you don't. And I think obviously, you know, for most people, they, they lie somewhere in the middle. And so what we have 
and you know, and I don't know if it's true or not. If you know, if our libido is higher than women, I, I'm not going to get into that. It's sort of not interesting. But when our libido calls for it, and we want to be sexual, we certainly don't have the choice to just snap our fingers and be so. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that women do that, but they have the possibility to do it, which is very interesting. And I think some women do. Um, we men just don't have it. So since we don't, then what are the choices? Pornography. Um, Call girls, you know, uh, sugar babies, all kinds of like transactional sex. Is transactional there, sex uh, or, or bisexual uh, sort of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because... It's because because gay men will men. always be ready for it. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, I don't mean to be derogatory at all. No, it's not derogatory. Yeah. Yes, um, it's how society has made us. Right. And uh, Not nature, but society, yeah. for sure. And so I think, you know, as, as somebody, and I find myself very sexual, as somebody who is very sexual, I sort of hit all those avenues. Sometimes mm-hmm. nothing, sometimes very active, sometimes through pornography, and sometimes through by play. Mm-hmm. And it's not really by choice. This is not the way I would like to engage it. But mm. it's what I think society's cards are dealt like. Mm. And you have to Interesting. go with that. All right. Well, we'll go back to those choices. But first of all, my first question here is, so what's your, what would be your ideal? How would you like the women to uh, you know, engage sexually in this world? Right. Ideally... I think there's a lot less extremes in each of the sexes. So ideally, you know, many, many more women become more confident and active about acting on their sexual desires. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and many more women stop just wanting, you know, the men to sort of do everything and conquer and convince them and woo them and seduce them. Right, overcome the resistance. Right. Turn the no into yes, which is so fucking confusing, which leads to date rape. Yes. Because if you say no, but you want to just be pushed to yes, you know, it, you confuse the, the male. So sometimes they'll take the no as a yes. So yeah, no should be no, yes should be yes. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. The, if you see someone and you get wet, like your body tells you, I want that guy, you should just get up and go and say Say, I'm interested in you. I find you attractive. I mean, you don't want to say, you don't have to say, like, I want to sit on your face. But you can say, uh, you know, I'm really attracted to you. There is nothing, you know, there should no longer in the 21st century be, like, judgment that that makes you slutty. It's just, like, inherited BS in the back of our minds, you know, that is just lurking there, like, garbage. Uh, Like, what will people say? Oh, my God, what will he think if I approach him? He'll think I'm easy. So what? Like, be easy. There is nothing wrong with being easy. You just want to, you have sex, you should be easy with sex. There is a lot of troubles and difficulties in life. You know, it's great to be easy in your sexual experiences and just not complicate the simple gifts of the gods, right? So sex being one of them, like, it's like one easy, free way to get pleasure and get high and get intimacy. Um, And if we become conscious of what we do before we do it and as we do it, instead of just going on learned behavior, I think that we can change. 
So anyway, so your first suggestion in your ideal world is that the woman does the asking as well or as often as the man. Sure. And next, what comes which, next? Which, <laughs> you know, ahead. and then from a mirrored point of view, that allows men to be a, a le- less pushy at times for mm-hmm. at least some men, mm-hmm. uh, just more relaxed, mm-hmm. more themselves. Mm-hmm. Not such sort of this... Um, egocentric and narcissistic conqueror but you know more of a chill real person and right. and i think both sexes would be you know f- sure access their own sensitivity which sure. they have so much trouble with. i think both sexes would gain a lot in being a lot more themselves a lot more natural mm-hmm. um right now we have almost like two societal written you know concept of men and women yeah. Oh. Yes, exactly. And they're pretty much opposite. So, okay. So, the woman, one thing we would like to see, and I agree with you, so we're on this together, we would like more women to just take the initiative, not feel that it's feel empowered by the initiative, feel stronger and happier because they get to make the choice before the guy comes to them asking for them. You know, there is, there is no power it's just a little more safe to wait for the guy because then there is less chance of rejection but there's nothing wrong with rejection if you don't take it personally you know right so if you go up to someone you don't know or you hardly know and you say i'm really attracted to you how do you feel and they say well you know i'm not but i'm so like flattered thank you that like super cool that's the end of that. There is no pain. There mm-hmm. is no rejection. It's not about you. It's just about these two bodies. I think in that a what you're what you're discussing here is you're basically saying, you know, to the women here out there, okay, it might be difficult, um, but it might not always, you know, it might not just be a negative. You might not get hurt. You might actually find some benefit right. to it. Well, you know, by the way, w- we go through this all the time mm-hmm. nice yeah you know mm-hmm. b- being forced by ourselves you know but being forced by by sort of societal circumstance to overcome our shyness uh and go and talk to a woman even if we don't know what to tell her at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and well, if you if you just <laughs> if you're on then it's very flowy and it's, right. it's yeah. a great conversation yeah. 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 if you're not it just sounds just so horrible you know, <laughs> like a one-liner <laughs> it's just terrible yes yeah. <laughs> but that's okay you it's know okay yeah that's part of like social exchange and exactly and i think we you know shouldn't it, o- we don't have to always be on and always be on top of our exactly. game and always impressing everybody like we're yes. on some stage right I think, you know, if both roles were a little more natural, then it'd be a lot less need for showmanship. For showmanship, yeah. Less showmanship and Mm. more natural conversation, more natural engagement. True, exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's another interesting point, you know, how for, you know, ridiculous reasons, again, we put all of our energy and focus and imagination and creativity in that original seduction, right? And I think both parties do. In different ways, but I've seen it, you know, billions of times. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not exaggerating. I have seen, you know, my friends, men and women, boys and girls, 
transform into somebody completely different when they're in that mode of seduction. Yes. The woman being seduced and she turns into that, you know, little girly, um, totally agreeable, um, like, you know, sparkling eyes, the body language changes, everything changes. And the men were in the seduction mode and you can actually, you know, see it in their body what's going on. And of course, the words, that's the most important thing, the words that they use um, are, I'm gonna say, 75% untrue, mm. you know, they're, they're, they're self-advertisements. Yes. And I don't think it's done with malice. Most of the time it's just done with hope. Um, but they misrepresent themselves to each other at the same time. And it's unconscious. And, and even to oneself. You right, to you know, themselves too, because th they're hoping to be that person. Yes, there's a say that I really like that I heard, and I don't know who said it originally, but said when you meet somebody that you're attracted to, it's a chance to become the person right. you've always wanted to be. Yes, and, and yes, yes. It's sort of a beautiful thing as well not as true. as well as a very cliche way it's to sort of true. lie to yourself. Yeah, it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to tell you it's not true. I mean, it could happen a relationship that lasts years. Of course, will change both of you. But that's different from, you know, I'm going to get with this guy and I'll be such a better person than I've been with the previous guy because I feel, you know, like more. That's just what you're feeling is like turn on, my sexual attraction. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that part of it is also, you know, that whole like mythology about romance, you know, the whole Disney movie version of true love, which is not quite, you know, it, it doesn't really happen in life, in daily life. In daily life, we have either what we call in French coup de foudre, where you just kind of like get hit in the head with desire, pure desire that's like consuming at the moment. Um, because it's a physical, you experience it physically, there's like symptomology. <laughs> 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 and that's hormones, you know, pheromones. It's not true love. You can't have true love when you've just met somebody. Uh, it doesn't happen because you know nothing. What the fuck are you loving? It's not true. It's just... Right. It's desire. It's just desire. Yeah. And then, um, you know, so then we have love that grows out of living together, experiencing each other, appreciating how a person is, all of that, which is, you know, very true. But that's not exactly what we talk about romantic love. So by naming that love between two partners romantic and associating it with like exclusive sex, possessiveness, you know, ownership, we damage that love because we, you know, we, we meaning society at large, you know, the dominant society, um, turns something beautiful, which is the love, intimacy, trust that two people have managed to create together into a form of slavery. You know, you love me, I love you, therefore I own you. I need to know all your thoughts. I need to know all your movements. I need to have your GPS. Yeah. <laughs> you can't feel the attraction or the could the food for anyone else on this planet because <laughs> then you betray our love. And what? no, you know, the love is something much deeper and, um, you know, it, and, and built, created, you know, grown like a vegetable in a garden over time with great care and tenderness. 
And so that love, we should try to disassociate from the needs of the body, because you know the body may get attracted and have sexual desire the same way that it may get hungry and want to have uh, you know sushi one night or uh, whatever steak one night or whatever people. I eat. think it's a. I'm vegan, so I don't know that part. I think it's a concept, <laughs> you know, the dissociation of sexual desires and love is something that is being discussed a lot more freely by the younger generation. And I'm very impressed. I hope so, yeah. By by how advanced and mature they are about it versus my generation. Mm. And maybe because I'm, you know, I, I hang out with a lot of people, you know, in Europe and in Brooklyn and Los Angeles who might just be a little more socially aware. But be that as it may, I, I think there is a, a, a much more engaging conversation that is had today without, nobody has cracked a code, but they're discussing it. Mm, that's wonderful, yeah. I think it's hard for people in general um, to achieve both, you know. Usually what happens is either you have an active sex life and you put love on the back burner or you have you find through love and then it's a struggle to kind of like redefine it and open it up and allow space for sexual play outside the love that doesn't threaten the loved one right and that's i think that's the main issue here that it shouldn't be threatening because it's only threatening because we assume that every time we desire someone or sleep with someone, we're gonna fall in love with them and wanna build that great big, uh, you know, long-lasting intimacy with them too, which is nuts. I, I mean, it, it is. If you think about it in any reasonable way, you clearly wouldn't have the time, energy to invest into having long-term love relationships that often. You know, it just doesn't happen with everyone you sleep with. It's much easier to exchange sexually with a beginning and an end, which is agreed upon at some point in advance. During well, I think a trolley polyamorous person would disagree with you. Mm -hmm. They would say it's actually easier for me to have one, two, or three partner that I am completely enthralled with. And by doing this, I don't cheat on any of them because my feelings are true. And what if he or she feels attracted to a fourth one? Yeah, and then on the other hand, you have, you know, the other partner who might be more into an open kind of relationship where their desires and their indulgence sometimes have to be met. And I'm not putting a negative on that, by the way, mm -hmm. as society would. Mm -hmm. But I know who I love, and my love doesn't stray. My mm -hmm. desire may stray once in a while, but not my love. Correct, yeah. yeah. Well, love is just much more rare and also it takes much more uh, investment, as I was just saying. So you have to be at the place in your life where you want to do that. Where yes. you want to take a chunk of your life, a chunk of your time during the day, and invest into the translation of the self and the self of the person you love. Which takes time until you find a common language and you know common footing and kind of like an understanding of the basic fundamental needs were also different. Yes. And the language is very limited. 
the language is generic. The monogamous language. No, the language, the words were given. Okay. Especially the English language. Yeah. Is very generic. So it takes great effort to try and translate who you are, which you hardly know yourself. Yes. To someone you know nothing about who hardly knows themselves. And that's the leap of faith and trust yes. that is required to build yeah. a love relationship. So And um, doesn't that doesn't that require much different from sex yes. relationship. It, it requires a, a lot more definitions. Mm -hmm. It requires to be much more mm -hmm. explicit. Yes. Uh, and honest, which and is patient. hard to do and patient of course. And patient. And I think that honesty takes years and years to become accustomed to and comfortable with. Yes, that's right. Because we have to unlearn all the uh, stuff that we were You're just so afraid of hurting the other, so afraid of um, all those negative thoughts about those feelings that you have of indulgence because you've learned that they're, to, they're shameful mm -hmm. for so long. And to unlearn that takes a great deal of time. Right, and work on yourself. Yeah. Especially when it comes to sex, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. So sex, sex and relationships. Right. Intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. But you may have achieved the relationship, which m most of us do originally when we're young. You know, we find it safer to, at some point, have a relationship. Um, and we also have more time and more energy <laughs> to devote to it. But then when you change sexually or want to try things sexually, it becomes challenging not to say it in a way that threatens the love, the yeah. established relationship. So that's another you know, time when connecting, associating, overlapping sexuality and sexual pleasure with love and romance is dangerous and self-defeating. It doesn't really serve anyone. You know, I strongly believe we should separate the two and be clear when we're having sex for the sake of the experience, not because we're objectifying the other, not because we um, demean or disrespect our sexual partner, but because that's all we want from them at this moment in yeah. time. We we could have sex with them many times. We could have you know uh, fun. We could go out. We what what whatever, but be clear that we're not at the place, or they are not the type of person with whom we want to have a love affair. And one of the beautiful side effects of this is to liberate women and men yes. from provider sex. So let me give you an example. So I met somebody online mm -hmm. recently mm -hmm. with whom I started to have conversations and very, very intimate conversations mm -hmm. and finding that we are incredibly compatible in our sexual fantasies in in what we want to do, how we want to do it and having just tremendous amount of fun discussing it. And then... Sexting. Sextings. Mm. And we meet mm -hmm. and we had a lovely dinner Mm -hmm. and a drink and we're talking and we're, we're having a fabulous time we're getting along very well and we get a little bit intimate just a little bit and then I sense you know like I have sensed before many times with my partners this like pulling of the brakes mm. and all of 
society's, you know, background just rushing into her head and saying, oh, no, but this is so wrong. You know, I have to be in love to have sex with you. There you go. <laughs> I'm not just fuck. looking for sex. I'm not just looking to fuck. I don't have time for this, etc., etc. But the sex takes so much less time than the yeah. falling And of in course, love. you know, I'm entirely respectful of their choices. Yes. You know. But wha- I, s- wait, but I sort of plenty of time to be writing about the sex. But I sort of snicker about it because I know that obviously she wants very different. She wants to indulge. But I think it's just very difficult for her, and um, and by her I could use the general her, to allow herself to do it and look at herself in the mirror because there's so much guilt attached to it, so much. Because it's the first time you meet in the flesh, that's why. Like it should be the third, you think? Or, I mean... she. I think she just really needed to be comforted that I loved her, that I desired her, that it was incredibly meaningful. Desiring her was clear. Mm. Whether or not it was this was going to turn into a relationship, Mm. I have no idea. I just met her. Interesting. So, and and what do you think, I mean, so you're on the dating apps or app, what do you think their effect is? Uh, Is it helpful? Is it harmful? It's a little both. I think it's um, it's almost like an exaggerated version of reality. Mm-hmm. It's so compared Tinder to a bar, mm-hmm. the bar being sort of you know the 1990s you know kind of pre-internet kind of Tinder. Uh, the the arc of the dynamic is fairly similar. Uh, women's you know say no whether they say no actively or they just don't look at you or they just don't talk to you. And every man there desires. But wait, wait, in the bar? I mean, because I haven't been on the, on the apps, but I definitely have been in the bars. <laughs> 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 Both in the 90s and more recently. Um, you know, the body knows. Like, you have 3D, um, you know, access to everyone. So for me at least... My body immediately says something. It says yes, it says no, it says maybe, it says wow, it says, you know. You have 3D access in, in Tinder. You just I, have to find you have to read the fine if lines. It's a three, oh. Yeah, there's and tea what leaves. Are the, fine lines? the tea leaves are the following. You have degrees of it. <laughs> the tea it's, leaves, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Okay, because I feel like the, the photographs would be extremely curated the way they're on Instagram, so they don't count. So how do you judge? They, they count. You just have to put a lot of grains of salt about it you know it's you've learned you learn to to not completely believe what you see obviously so the tea leaves are a woman swipes right and like you that's the equivalent of a glance in a bar Mm -hmm. a glance it doesn't mean that you can actually go talk to her and she's going to respond to you but it means that there's some interest okay then you engage and then, because they almost never do, mm-hmm. you engage, and then uh, you might get a return, a text back. Oh, hi, da-da-da. Uh, that's basically you being able to engage in a conversation in a bar. It's, it's very similar. And, and I think the, the ratios are very much the same as in reality. 
you know, i.e., you, you know, it takes maybe you being attracted to a hundred women that you see at a bar, or twenty or fifty, or I don't know, to talk to one of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, I beg to differ. A, I think you can talk to people at the bar much more because you just go, show up, say hi, or it's a group situation. I found I find bar life to be very accessible because it doesn't imply that we're going to leave the bar together. And like when when guys come up and talk to me, especially I mean I'm usually with someone, so when a guy comes and talks to me us, um, I don't feel that okay I have to decide right now whether or not I want to f- have sex with this man. It could just end up being you know getting to know each other. Um, but the other thing that for me, dating apps um, do, and again, it's very personal. The reason that I haven't been able to actually start using one, and I'm interested in it because this is my work. <laughs> um, so I, I want to get there. I just find it painful. No. Disrespectful. No. It just breaks my heart. That's what I find. I find it heartbreaking to actually have to swipe on a human being. And I find it heartbreaking to judge this poor man on the basis of these photos. I just can't do it. I mean, I've tried on my girlfriend's um, phones, and it just makes me want to cry because it feels like it's... um, Dehumanizing? Yes. Yes. You're right. It is. It is tremendously dehumanizing. Yeah. And I can't do it. I can't do it to another person. I just feel like, how am I supposed to make a choice like that based on three silly photos that, you know, and and most guys don't curate like girls curate. So it's even more painful. Right. Because there is this guy with his kid or, you know, this guy has caught a fish. What does that have to do with whether or not I'd want to sleep with him? It's impossible. I just feel like it—it's it, so outside <laughs> yes. what I'm trying. You yeah. know how I—I I would choose and how I would decide. It's so removed <laughs> from everything sensual, um, which is the language of sex, the language of the sexes. There's like none of the five senses. Th- There's a huge <laughs> suspense of disbelief. Huge. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're entirely right. Of course, you're right. But. Mm-hmm. Let it be honest. That's just, you know, the direction of our society, and it's not about to change. Well, maybe I'm against big tech. I think big tech is big yeah. brother. So I tell everybody, you know, handwrite sticky yes. notes and yes. <laughs> write yes. postcards again, yes. and you know, live, go out, you know, be in the nature, be on the beach, get away from the screen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going back to the woman who said yes. You uh, are engaged. You have gone through whatever the dinner, (laughs) the provider, you know, little thingy. And then you're in bed. So what's the next thing that happens in your ideal world that doesn't happen in the real world? I think think that once you started becoming intimate, and um, by intimate, I just mean a simple kiss or, or, you know, the physical uh, invisible barrier has been broken. And I mean broken in a positive way. Yeah. Right. Then there's no more problem. Then you have two human beings, I think, who mostly have allowed those preconceived barriers to fall behind them 
then you're dealing with two human beings, and we all have our complications. But I think that once you've broken the invisible barrier, then it's uh, for the men and the women to, you know, do the best they can to right. engage. But, but I thought that we were, you were saying earlier that um, even at that level, there is the prejudice where the man has to be the doer oh, right about that. and the rider. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. she cannot take initiative. Yeah. She cannot penetrate. She has to be penetrated. Yes. She cannot... Um, because, again, of that social judgment. So that's my question. Right. Mm. So, so there, I would say that, okay, from the men's point of view, we have to learn to be much more communicative and comfortable with opening about what our sexual desires look like, what our fantasies may be, what we enjoy, what we don't enjoy. We're not just a conqueror, obviously, and we don't have all the keys to the women's pleasure, obviously we don't. Um, but I think a lot of what we enjoy might seem to be shameful because it might not be viewed as the paradigm of heterosexual normalcy. Exactly. For and example. For example, you know, liking to be penetrated. Yeah. A finger in your ass. Mm-hmm. Um, or a dildo. Or a dildo. Yeah, pegging. Or it's called pegging. Pegging, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, any, anything that might be considered kinky, that might be considered not just regular heterosexuality, is something that carries a varying degree of shame according to who you are. Mm-hmm. And so talking about it is difficult. Mm-hmm. Talking about it even with your male friends is not only difficult, but almost impossible. Wow. It's a conversation that guys don't have. Guys just don't talk about how they like to have sex for real between each other. We don't. Well, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. I mean, in the again, average right. heterosexual world. Exactly. So that's from the men's point of view, and I think you know you've said it before. From the women's point of view, probably it's just to be a little less passive and to accept to have a more dominant role, a more active role, uh, to just you know. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you find difficult telling a woman or a partner that you'd like to to experience with her? Well, first I'd like to say that I find I find it less and less difficult. Good. Because in the past few years, you I've allowed myself the yourself. freedom mm. and to train myself to be more communicative. Mm-hmm. And for all the guys out there, I can tell you that it has been met with a great deal of positive and reinforcing feedback from women. Because I think women actually enjoy to hear a man um, constructively, kindly describe, you know, his fantasies, his pleasures in, in a way that's not just egocentric, but that, say, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying that to you because I want us to share it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, in general, what typically is going to be met with the most resistance is anything that has to do with, you know, bisexual fantasies. For sure. So having a third guy, having a guy is a third guy, or just like just saying, you know, I'd like to fantasize about having sex with men. I may or may not do it, but the fantasy is attractive to me. In the same way, you might fantasize about having sex with a woman or having a woman go down on you, which I think you know, most of the women I've met have that fantasy clearly. Right. Yeah. Um, or experience and experience. Yeah. yeah. Now, would you say that most men out there do, or at least say they do? No. No. 
Not at all. Right. It does, it, does that mean that women are, are inherently more bisexual than men? I don't think so. No. Right? Yes. It's part of, I mean, I think that specific thing is part of, of the what pornography has uh, taught us, which is, you know, guys like to watch girls go down on each other and la- have sex with each other. So it's within that heteronormative spectrum. So it's okay. But like guys, you know, guys themselves going down on each other or having sex with each other challenges the law of masculinity. And even in the porn world, you know, it's just not something that like straight couples watch normally together to get turned on or right. that guys admit that they watch to yes. their you know women to get turned on so that stereotype you know has to be broken and i i guess i'm gonna just guess it has to do with penetration because we have been taught that penetration is real sex because that's how right. we conceive the babies right the dick has to go into something that procreates you know and the butt doesn't procreate so it's no good <laughs> so we're going back to that you know very basic procreative sexual definition and you know everything else is um some sort of paraphilia you know some sort of like extra but yeah i think that it's very important for by bisexual play to you know come out into the the, li- the light and be kind of like equal for men and women so that's a valid uh, very valid issue right and what else besides by interests you think women would you know wins or or um you know pull away or or even just flatly say no i can't I, I can't do that i think the the thing that meets the most resistance and that i would I would say that probably most men deplore is the lack of dominance that women are allowed or would allow themselves to experience. To experience, right? Yeah. Uh, I was I was in a marriage for many years with a woman that I loved mm-hmm. who was completely incapable mm-hmm. of not being passive sexually. Mm. Unless maybe she was very very tipsy, you know just but even then yeah that's unfortunate that we self-medicate to have sex but <laughs> very unfortunate obviously <laughs> and i'm not saying that she was you know that i was perfect or whatever that has nothing to do with it uh what i'm saying is it, it is it is the norm uh, that if you ask a woman would you like to be you know are you dominant or submissive she's going to tell you i'm submissive i think most women would do that yeah, it is the norm, I find, it is to my norm. surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it is incredibly refreshing when you hear somebody say, well, I like both. Or in inc- incredibly rare when you hear women say, I'm dominant. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. And that I think that that's, again, uh, I mean, for me personally, as a feminist, I can't see any other way of being. Um I just can't. I, I think that by being submissive, you you embrace, you adopt the understanding that you are the object and the female body is the object in our society, right? So we use it to like sell clothes, we use it to sell all kinds of products and 
it's you know it's the thing that we that's fuckable that we trade you know the father gives it to the husband it's a, it's like chattel it's something that's that can be owned and traded um that doesn't really happen with the male body it, i mean it did during sa- slavery but it doesn't really happen in our society on a daily basis so I find it very, you know, healing for me personally to objectify the the male body, you know, to see the beauty in the male body, and and if you have any uh, uh, and you know love for art, for example, it's all there, you know, the ancient Greeks, the Romans, the David. And by the way, if if you are a woman who is comfortable enough to call herself dominant majority of the time or at times even mm-hmm. i think that your sexuality is gonna become it's gonna blossom mm-hmm. you're gonna be able to allow yourself to do all the things you want to do and because you have all this power in society as a woman vis-a-vis your sexuality you know if you allow yourself to be dominant on top of it dominant by just saying you know taking charge of your sexual desires um and sometimes having a partner who likes to play the game with it um then i think your sexuality blossoms and just trying it out i mean that you know so i do always recommend if for no other reason just for the experience and also for political reinforcement (laughs) 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 you know try it out see how it feels see how you like it even if you don't love it because you are not mm, whatever you know naturally attuned for it you will empathize with the male gender, first of all. You will understand how much work it is to have sex, you know. Uh, but if you do enjoy it, even, you know, a little, and you get in the habit of, of doing it as part of, like, a more equal give-and-take sexual experience, I think that you will, ex- you will expand your sexual knowledge, you know, your, your sexual memories, um, your sexual voice yes. uh, yeah, exponentially. So it's really um, liberating in so many ways. And, and I feel that finally we're able at this moment, you know, in human written human history to, um, to take on that role without judgment and without being like paid dominatrixes or what, or I don't know what the alternative was in previous centuries. <laughs> Yes, because it's n- never written about. No. <laughs> I, I, in we my have experience, decide, but we don't really, you know, we have like the women decide pays to get him, you know, bottoms and victims, but that's about it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, um, I, I, I always I found my sexuality by reading books and masturbating to them, you know, really young. So my first, the first time that I actually touched myself, I was reading a book in my grandfather's library. He's a priest, he, um, kind of like a bishop priest. And it was a book teaching you the horrors of like uh, incest, or something like that. So it was the story of like this boy who gets seduced by the stepmother when the father <laughs> <laughs> who remarried is out of the house. And then how he burns in hell and she burns in hell and you know, a Christian book. And I was just so turned on. But then I 
uh, you know, I started masturbating to basic books, like it would be Shakespeare's, you know, Anthony and Cleopatra. And I'd be like, oh, that's so erotic, right? So, um, but what changed everything was reading the sad. Um, and I read him fairly young, because uh, I was always at the library looking. looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I realized that, you know, this, this kind of like plain, unadorned, exchange of power yes. and of physical um, experience and fluids is sex, you know, divorced from that whole yes. other, um, you know, love and uh, marriage and living happily ever after mythology. And even though it was supposed to be um, demeaning, I mean, it is demeaning for the women, it just, wow, it just turned me on and it opened the floodgates physically because it showed me something that I had had no access to before. And it was so removed from, you know, th this world in a little, in a small Greek island. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I think what also you're talking about is, is, is how we grow a universe of sexual fantasies when our, our quote-unquote real life doesn't allow ourselves to explore those fantasies. And so we're going to grow this private land of fantasies. And I think men and women, you know, in our society have grown a very healthy or unhealthy, very large private universe of sexuality. And those two universes don't always communicate. And so, you know, you have, you have a, a man with all this you know, pornography, all these desires, all these fantasies, and he might just be, you know, very uncomfortable to to openly talk about it with his partner, and his partner's going to have another world. And, um, you know, it's a very, very difficult thing to communicate to one another, especially when you haven't for a while. Right, yeah, and it's sad to think, it's so sad to imagine, you know, that two people can be together, a couple sleeping in the same bed and fantasizing about completely different yes. things. And even when they're having sex with each other, they're fantasizing yes. about completely different things. Yes. Other people, other power exchange setups. Uh, and it's, I think that that's very common. And they think it's okay because it's only fantasy and it kind of enables them to reach orgasm so if anything they think they help their partner <laughs> by being completely elsewhere yes. in their head yeah. because after all they're gonna you know come and this yeah. is over and then <laughs> you get into this daily or you know quotidian routine where the achievement of orgasm from both parties in the same old way is like the ultimate goal which is why so sad. which is why it's so important to be able to openly declare Right. what your sexuality means to you mm -hmm. very early on. I think... Early on in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. and even before the relationship even starts. And, yeah. and by the way, it's a lot of fun to do so. Yes, It's it a is. lot of fun it's to explore. On. It's a huge turn on to explore each other's sexuality. And, and my in, words, in, in words. In words, right. you, you, because you fuck each other's mind right. many times over, which mm -hmm. is so much fun mm -hmm. and so powerful. And you desire each other so much mm. and before you even touch each other. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, you also have this, this fantastic benefit. If, if this is going to turn into a real relationship, you have then known very early on if what turns you on turns your partner on. I have this, I have this wonderful thing in me. 
I get turned on by whatever my partner gets turned on by, by definition. If it turns you on, therefore it turns me on. Yeah. Not everybody is like that. No, sadly. <laughs> yeah, but it should be. It it, yeah. it should be. I think if you love one another, hopefully it should be. If it's not the case, you probably have some you trouble there. You don't even have to love one another. I mean, your goal is I'm talking about, pleasure. you know, if you, I'm talking about, you know, in case, you know, this encounter becomes a relationship and a mm. meaningful one. Yeah. Being turned on by what turns the other on is a huge added benefit to the long and healthy, you know, relationship, yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. But even during the sexual scene itself, between beginning and end, seeing the other's pleasure turns you on. Yes. I think that's pretty natural. Yeah. It should be, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. 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 So, um... Um, yeah, so I, I think that what we're trying to say uh, is be open, find the words, speak sex, which is why yes. the podcast is called Speak yes. Sex. It's all about that. Yes. Allowing yourself first the freedom to speak it, yes. to understand it, yes. to articulate your desires, yeah. and also to uh, understand that we change sexually. We evolve, you know, the same way that we change what our eating habits or we change the way we work out or we change our friends or we change our careers or we change the language we speak look we both speak a foreign language we can completely change our sexual likes and our sexual desires and our sexual habits it's natural it's how it should be so just because we started a a certain way and we came a certain way doesn't mean that that's the way it's just always gonna continue so being open and being articulate and being, um, you know, conscious enough to separate truth from like inherent judgment, from social yes. taboo, yeah. from fear of like what people will say. Yes. <laughs> like we were still in the village, in the medieval village, in the old country, right? We're not. This is America. We should be free from all of that. Yes. That's why we're here. Uh, you have to just look at societal concept and put them on their heads a little bit when it comes to sexuality and communication of sexuality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's loving yourself and and being able to be loving to the other mm-hmm. by being honest. Yes. All right. Thank you. You're that's welcome. beautiful. Thank you for coming on the podcast and speaking truth and speaking sex and speaking love with me. Um, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next Friday. I'm your host, Eve Eurydice. Ciao.